Greetings, friends. It's Chapo. We're back again. It's me, Matt, and Felix coming to you on the day before uh, New York City's mayoral primary. Who you guys got? What are you thinking? Right now, it looks like uh, Eric Adams is the favorite. Um, my general consensus on how to vote tomorrow is rank any rank the whoever you want to vote for, however you want. But just don't vote for Adams or Andrew Yang. If you if you rank the same candidate five times, it counts as five votes. If you really want Eric Adams to win, I think Eric Adams has what it's what it takes to win. I think so. You think about like what the job of New York City mayor is, and it's that everyone hates you and constantly disrespects you, and you're also the weirdest person in the city. Eric Adams has that because like I consider his front runner moment was when the news came to his son's house and told him how disgusting it was. And he was like, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm gross. This is my house. My house smells bad. And, and then ran an audit on what was in, the, uh, what was in his uh, refrigerator because Eric Adams, of course, is uh, a vegan. And they found, all kinds of, they found all kinds of smoked salmons in the refrigerator of what was clearly his son's house. I mean, the guy lives in New Jersey. But, yeah, you're right. He's already doing the job of being New York City mayor, which is just to have – Basically to just get cloud yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like you, you sit in an office with your legs open and people queue up to just give you squarely kick you in the nuts. They should over replace and over again. they should replace uh the mayor's office, they should replace the desk there with a dunk tank. And if you're a citizen of New York, you should be able to uh sign up to get in line to dunk the mayor into the tank. And if you want to skip the line, because obviously it's gonna be very long, you can pay and that money can go into the city budget. And that would make the mayor of New York, even if he did nothing else the rest of the time, more useful than any of them have ever been. Because they would at least be raising fucking revenue. The last mayor who like people liked for any period of time was Giuliani. And that's like, you can't cheat death. Because, <laughs> because he presided over it, the apocalypse. Right. But now, yeah. Because he was fucking master blaster in Barter Town for a year and a half. <laughs> who run Barter Town? Master blaster runs Barter Town. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's like you can't cheat death, and it's like if you you owe like a debt. And now I would consider Giuliani the most disrespected man in America. Like, oh yeah, the FBI showed up at his house, and they were just like tooling around through his shit, like he's Richard Jewell. He went from like yeah, being beloved by everyone to still carrying the curse of the New York mayors, like going around like butt dialing reporters. Like his teeth falling out, just something gross and confusing, like David Ross said, happening every two weeks. Um, but Eric Adams is perfect for that because, like, there's so much weird shit about him. Like the thing of him referring to himself in third person because he keeps a diary. This is this is his, this <laughs> is a lot of he writes about himself like he's the protagonist of a fucking yeah. novel. Yeah, Eric Adams wow. is treated very rudely by the New York Post today when um, they claim that my bed was 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 sloppy and unmade. I keep it, I keep tight corners on it every morning. I mean, like, think about that. Um, think when about I'm there, that. like you're calling your adult son on the phone and you're like, "Hey, like a bunch of guys that hate me are going to come to your house and call it gross <laughs> and look at everything." Say it's mine. <laughs> and you have to let me through your shit. You have to let me do that. Okay, yeah, they're going to be coming through your shit like Michael Tracy at. Uh, fucking Kurt uh, Eichenwald's garage yes. sale. Remember yes. that? Yeah. It's exactly like that. That'll be fun for no, you. Yeah, it's like... People were like clowning on the shoes he had. Yeah, yeah. They he were had, like, what are those? He had like, <laughs> he had like Air Force Ones, but for like teams that are no longer part of the NBA. 
It was awesome. <laughs> um, and also, like, there's so much about him that's perfect for this, like, his personality. Like, how he started the race, and he's like, I will not be playing. I'm against the race card. Like, to, to very antiquated term to say in 2021. But then, like, the moment that, like, people are exploiting ranked choice, like Garcia and Yang, he's like... Oh, so you want to keep a black guy out of office? He and literally it's like, yeah, they're running today, against you. <laughs> like, he literally said today like, that Garcia and Yang forming a pact to like be like uh, Garcia be like the number two choice of Yang voters to form a sort of coalition against uh, Adams is uh, sort of like leading in the polls. He said that that harkened back to the days of the poll tax and literacy test. And Jim Crow, yeah, he's <laughs> awesome. He's right. Like he should just make him mayor. After he said that, you should make him mayor. Like I'm uh, Felix, did you also know that that Adams used to be pretty close to Louis Farrakhan, or they were uh, allied at one point? Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, I mean, honestly, like, I'm making the case that you should vote for him right now. But no, I mean, I would like already there pretty much. But like, that's... <laughs> he comes from a, a, a robust tradition of like black conservative, uh, like nationalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's sort of like a cl- kind of Clarence Thomasy in that respect. I think there's also something perfect about him becoming mayor in this moment because after the the explosion of the the uh, Black Lives Matter summer last year and all this ferment and and the the twilight of the debungler uh, era, this like big bird scarecrow motherfucker reenacting John Lindsay's presidency to a T, and then we get this huge field of candidates, no clear uh, favorite. They have ranked choice voting for the first time to like make it more quote unquote democratic, and the likely outcome is that this fucking former cop who lives in new jersey and has the politics of like the average uh um mike and the mad dog caller (laughs) is gonna get elected by the same coalition of voters who made joe biden the democratic nominee older non-whites in the uh, outer boroughs are gonna just like in south carolina are gonna they don't care about any of the bullshit everybody is talking about all the issues all of these all of these like supposedly heightened uh political stakes they're going to fucking vote for the machine Paul the way that they did for Biden in, in uh, 2020 because all of this ferment of politics that we, we invest ourselves in, it doesn't permeate beyond this layer of the people who are most online but least likely to vote in a mayoral fucking primary. Or maybe are likely to vote but are not numerically significant. Right. Um, they're just not the bit. They're not the center of gravity of the electorate in the city well, any more than they were in the country. I watched a very interesting movie last week. Maybe you guys heard of it. It's called Buck Breaking. <laughs> and it was, I gotta, I want to watch it very it's, much. There are some, di- there are some, di- there are some different choices I would have made if I directed it. And I'm trying to. <laughs> I know, I've made an award-nominated documentary. That's true. You have. Yeah, I would so. love your take on Buck Breaking. Because, honestly. like, I'm not going to comment on whether I agree with the thesis or not. I don't feel like that's constructive. But it's like stay in your lane. If, if it was my job to make that argument, I would have done it. Like, let's be honest, Judge Joe Brown has a big role as, like, an expert in it, and a lot of what he says just makes zero. There's this part where he's like, yeah, if you look at uh, the most popular genre of music, it's rap and hip-hop, but it hasn't changed for 30 years. And then you go to places, this is verbatim, by the way, I wrote it down because it was so insane. (laughs) Uh, Then if you go to places like Japan, Paris, or Liverpool, people are doing it. But then a Japanese guy will be will be listening to it and he'll try to dance and he doesn't know how to dance. He just jumps up and down. But the reason is all those countries are LGBT. It just like even if you like believe the central thesis of buck breaking, that doesn't even make sense as a sentence. I had to. Well, it's so <laughs> demented, but like 
I like buck breaking and like some part. It's like yes, you heard it here first. Felix likes to break bucks. <laughs> he loves he says it. He loves it. He loves yeah. buck breaking. Um, it is like it's okay. There are a lot of like black conservatives in America, and their voice like genuinely isn't heard a lot. And I don't mean black yeah, conservatives absolutely. like a, a black guy who happens to agree with Donald Trump. I mean like a very unique thing, black conservatism. And I consider buck breaking like. A, a continuation of this tradition that you know Farrakhan is a part of, and I, even though it's not exactly the same thing, there are many strains of it, and I, I, I am very interested in that line of thinking. And there's something we're going to talk about later in the show that's like it's a white guy doing the buck breaking thesis, but doing a shittier job and is less yes, like absolutely. interesting or charismatic absolutely. than Tariq Nasheed. And it's like I don't know if I like really want it like would want that like represented like electorally. I mean, I don't really have a say in it, but like, I do think it should be in the New York times. Like more people believe that than believe what the fuck, whatever the fuck Brett Stevens does. And it's like, it's like genuinely a very interesting, like uniquely American line of thinking. And I like, I like do kind of think people should watch it. Like, I don't agree with the central thesis, obviously, (laughs) but it's like it is like I've met a lot of like normal people who are like good people and like they're nice people in their lives and I wouldn't really call them like personally bigoted but like do believe like a lot of the shit that I saw in that movie and it's like you just if you pay attention to American media there's just no representation of that in there and so when you know in an electoral situation like this people I feel like are constantly taken by surprise and it's like no, there are millions of Americans who like even okay, if they're not exactly there, they're not exactly where buck breaking is, or they're not exactly where if you want to go further to the right, they're not exactly where Farrakhan is, or if you want to go further towards the center, like they're not exactly there, but they're like broadly in this sort of like the uniquely black idea of conservatism. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh Felix Biederman endorses uh buck breaking <laughs> yeah, for New York yeah. City mayor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buck-breaking, porn star and uh, amateur politics. Well, it's like, you know why that movie's great? Is because when when you consume something that isn't like conservative ink, that's not like mainstream conservatism, like sort of a more outsider-y conservatism, it, they'll do that thing where it's like, they say one thing where you're like, oh, that's completely true and no one really covers it. And then it'll be like, the next thing is like, and Japanese guys just jump up and down when they dance. And, 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 and Japan is an LGBTQ nation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means. I mean, and also, I'd like to go back to Judge Joe Brown's uh, original statement that uh, hip hop and rap music hasn't changed much in thirty no, years. It's changed a lot. I mean, like it's it's, it's yeah. I don't I, that that doesn't that Judge doesn't hold water. Judge Brown is like I think he's just like old. Well, yeah. I mean, they used to be talking about um, having a house party or um, you know what, what to do when a fine uh, female uh, steps into a wedding and uh, you've been eating too much. And I, now I, it's just you sort of mumbling about taking painkillers. I got obsessed with uh, Judge Brown because I think he's like in a Biden type thing where he is like sundowning. And I watched um, Kwame Brown. Have you seen his podcast? Oh my god. The, you know, the shit yeah. where he was going in on fucking, what's his name? On, on Gilbert Arenas and Matt Barnes? Yeah. That was like what that was, dude. He cut a promo on those guys, the hardest I've ever seen. No, that guy goes awesome. You know, he said he's like you guys. You guys keep having jokes about me in basketball. Then he goes, Matt Barnes. I got a joke about your motherfucking life. You. Punk. Oh, he's he's awesome. <laughs> like I hope he has a his media career continues. He's very he's very good at that. But Judge Joe Brown was on a recent episode, 
and like Kwame Brown starts it off and he's talking about that. He's like, um, yeah, uh, you may have heard there was like a sort of controversy with me and Charlemagne. A lot of people are mad at me. And Judge Joe Brown's like, all right, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to keep this brief and then talks for 30 minutes. And the thing he starts off with is, yeah, during the 60s, during the anti-war movement, what people thought was if you raised a, a boy like a girl, war would stop. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this whole insane 30-minute thing, like rambling, like Biden-esque thing about like the 60s and like gender politics. But um, I do think, uh, I don't know, we need more of that in mainstream media. Because it is like when I looked at the comments and a lot of people watch this, the comments were like, I'm a 62-year-old nurse. I agree with everything Judge Brown said. <laughs> you know, like, there's fucking stuff. That, there's stuff that you've never heard of if you've, like, lived a certain life. And there are millions of adherents to it in America. And you'd never know if you only watch mainstream media. Well, we've gotten uh, pretty far afield from the uh, New York City mayor's race. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I just, just back to if you're voting tomorrow, I'd just say uh, anyone other than Yang and Adams, I mean, they're all goofies. They all stank. Uh, you know, Maya Wiley seems to be the progressive choice, but she seems like an absolute sap to me. I mean, she's, like, uh, spent most of the primary shitting on Bernie Sanders. But, you know, if you want to rank her number one, go ahead. It just seems like all the real estate money and like uh, police shit is behind uh, Andrew Yang and Eric Adams. Um, but yeah, just another another uh, just little development in uh, New York City local politics. Sorry to sorry to bore most of the country, but you know, I mean, we this is this is the number one podcast about the number one city in America, New York. So I'd like to just continue for a little bit. Uh, the city council candidate who got um, uh, revenge porn at an S and M dungeon in a, in a in a state of uh, sort of erotic bondage and ecstasy. That was leaked to the New York Post by his own campaign. His name is Zach Weiner. You folks heard of this? I saw that. I mean, I'm having trouble with this one. I mean, if I wanted to be a conspiracy theorist, I would say that this guy who has a total long shot candidacy, like, why would they release if this guy's like had no real chance of winning? Like, why did this come out? I don't know. I don't know. I thought his I no, thought his response wrong. to it. Come on. I mean, I don't know that, but my guess, if I had to guess, I would say that he fucking put it out there himself. Yeah, I thought his response to it um, showed a lot of class and dignity and just being like, so I did a thing, and, yeah. you know, like, I don't feel guilty about it or bad. It no, was, and he uh, shouldn't. He shouldn't. Yeah, nor, nor should exactly. He, nor should he. I don't feel guilty about it or bad. It's almost like I wouldn't mind if it got out there, and then my campaign got yeah. more attention because of that. Or I'm, maybe I'm sort of just... wondering if someone with a humiliation fetish wouldn't run for city council as part of a strategy for a grand <laughs> denouement in which he is shamed on a national yeah. level in a way that really, really fires his uh, gears, turns his crank. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, takes all kinds. New York politics is cool. Everyone should get to be mayor. Everyone should get to be a councilman at some point in their lives. Actually, speaking of crank, uh, this is the perfect segue into an old friend of ours, an old friend of the show. I'm talking about really. Um, I'm actually uh, recording this uh, show now on uh, the original Blue Yeti mic I got to uh, when we started being like, "Oh, hey, we, audio should be sound good on a podcast," and it still has the baseball crank sticker on the base of it. So the baseball crank is honestly like a foundational figure to the Chapo mythos, and honestly, like I feel guilty because we haven't talked about crank in a long time. Very, it's um, been a while. Motherfuckers act like they forgot about Crank. 
But he came back this week with a, a pseudo-controversy that I loved because it involved, I would say, probably the only funny thing that Baseball Crank has ever tweeted. I mean, honestly, give the guy credit for, for finding a, that squirrel finding a nut eventually after years of posting. Yeah, he, I mean, he's done unintentionally funny things before. I think he did one of the funniest things I've ever seen, which was his blog post on September 12th, 2001, Why Baseball Still Matters. So this was um okay I mean you guys uh I'm sure you guys saw the note the new the news that um the, the Biden's dog Champ was uh, is no more he was and, you know obviously whether it was behavioral <laughs> issues or not I don't know I mean but dog killing is back in a big way it's the hottest thing I mean we are trendsetters here we we shown we shown a light onto the huge American subculture of people who adopt dogs to kill them and has it spread to the White House I don't know. But, um, was there a woman in the room with Champ in a uh, in some sort of dark ceremonial robe with a jade inlaid dagger, <laughs> doing some sort of uh, uh, eldritch chant before she uh, split him open? I mean, we don't know for sure. There's no way of finding out. We don't know. Well, Champ has gone to live in that 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 big old country farm in the sky. Uh, I mean, you know, like people are people are you know a lot of prayers up for the Biden family. A lot, of, but curiously, no word on Major. We're Folk, where's Major? Mm. Every time I go to the debate stage, I'm going to say, where's Major? Where's Major Biden? Where's Major at? Champ is no more, but Major is still around somewhere. We don't know. I, um, so, yeah, I feel like I think this is probably how the Trump people felt, you know, when the the Bannon faction was pushed out and the Javanka faction started winning and he just started governing like Mike Marco Rubio as if he would have done anything else. Um I feel like I was part of a contingent of patriotic Americans who loved huge, dirty, poorly behaved dogs. And I feel like the globalists have sort of killed Champ. Well, uh, Baseball Crank has been killing it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's Kiki. I mean, Champ has been, he's died once, but he's been killed again by the Baseball Crank in uh, the following tweet. So Dan McLaughlin, the Baseball Crank, tweeted uh, over the weekend, uh, Champ Biden dies, Major lives on. The Biden family tragedy in miniature. <laughs> and to which he received a tidal wave of outrage replies. Oh, my God. Uh, including from I'm just, just right after the I'm looking at Tommy Vitor and John Favreau, who replied to Baseball Crank, you are a truly awful person. And then Favreau says, imagine how utterly broken you must be to proudly display that level of public cruelty to other human beings. Obama made jokes about drone striking teenagers. Yeah, like you probably. Favreau probably wrote those fucking jokes for the correspondence center. The Jonas brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you: predator drones. (laughs) You will never see it coming. Yeah, no, it's like give me a fucking break here. I mean, like, I'm sorry, Joe Biden's president. And, like, uh, I'm sorry, the dog dying isn't a national tragedy. And also, like, when you run for president and, like, your chief point of appeal to the public and is that your son died a long time ago and you feel like, fucking sad about it. Like, I mean, that was a major part of Joe Biden's fucking He said like, that's why we president. can't have universal health care. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't even think that. I feel like the consolation prize you get for, like, you know, that world word we all love, no accountability, 
for these people, for Joe Biden, the guy who supported the Iraq War, the guy who, you know, is behind every major piece of financial deregulation, blah, blah, blah. We could go on forever. You guys all know everything he's done. The consolation for people like that sticking around their entire and our entire fucking lives and just sometimes doing the bare minimum is that you get to make fun of them in their lives. Like, yeah. That, yeah, I don't respect this guy, like, as a person. And, in fact, like, his main utility to me is that he's just falling apart. Is the wheels are falling off of him, and, like, his life is kind of funny. And it's like, and you, you take that away, what do we have? And, you know, it's weird. Like, I mean, obviously, it's not, I don't think it's entirely the same people doing it, but it is funny to contrast the blue-check media reactions to the Slate story about losing Luna, where they're all, like... So brave of you to share this story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. This is, you know, it's a hard choice, but you made the right one. We all stand with you. And then Baseball Crank, our boy Crank, uh, tweets a joke about a dead dog. And uh, these people, they lose their minds. They can't handle it. They're like, I can't, I can't imagine doing a, a human being doing something so profoundly cruel to someone else. It's just like, look, it, it, it was a good joke, okay? It was a good joke. And this is coming on the heels of a week where, like, there are, Fucking like copious leaked emails and text messages from Hunter where he's uh, calling his lawyer the N word and <laughs> arranging trysts with escorts with his cousin, who's uh, like his female cousin. He's asking for uh, dates and uh, uh, with the caveat, no, no yellows, please. And then he said that amazing line about like, I need someone who's very attuned to evil and against it. No, that's what the cousin said. Yeah, oh, that's what said, the cousin said. These are all the all these women are like me. They're they're aware. They're. Uh, they're distrustful and very wary of evil. I love it. <laughs> I love it when Irish these people American. are human eight balls. They're made entirely of cocaine. Like, they, dude, we are both equally attuned to evil, and we are very, very wary of it. But we're, I love well, it when like was, two Irish American relatives talk to each other, and it's just like, you know, just a. It's like watching a great duet of lies. I mean, like that. The, the, te the text exchanges with his cousin were weird because it seemed like he was trying to set him up with dates with her friends, but it could have been also, I don't know, something a little bit more nefarious. Absolutely, going on it looked like he was ordering off of the, uh, yeah. the pizza menu, yeah. if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guys, some guys like to buy their wives. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, but so like, are you telling me that if you couldn't get, uh, if you had a machine that the Pentagon had built that would allow, like, some sort of temporal, like, quantum rifle that allowed you to shoot? Hunter in the head, and it would like pull from another dimension a still living <laughs> Bo Biden. That they wouldn't do that. They would do that in a fucking heartbeat. I mean, like, I'm sorry if you can't see the the, the well, hey, like, there's the parallel in that, like, uh, I, I, someone else pointed this out, but there's the parallel in that uh, Joe Biden gave both of his sons dog names. Yes, yes. <laughs> I wish Hunter I remember who said that. <laughs> Hunter and Bo, that's such a good point. Yeah. And then, like, Champ and Major, I mean, like, Hunter is the one, who, like, he keeps biting people. He can't stop <laughs> biting people. He keeps going to biting rehab, but he just won't stop acting up. He won't stop being bad. Well, um, Major has been doing some really, like, really good and really soulful uh, stick piles in the backyard <laughs> helping him get over his need to bite people. He's, I've, I've, been, I've been taking some time to work on me and uh, digging holes in the backyard. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of that lately. It helps me center myself. Yeah, Champ bought it, brought in a dead squirrel from the backyard and it just sold for $750,000 at a gallery <laughs> in Soho. So, I mean, obviously, like, look, uh, everyone's mad at the baseball crank. Oh. And I was just like, look, fair is fair. A funny tweet is a funny tweet. 
Um, however, baseball crank, I mean, you know, obviously not being one to um, enjoy humor or, and also obviously someone who always needs to have the last word, has gone and shot himself in the foot by writing a piece for the National Review in which he attempts to explain this tweet away in a way that it, like, makes it like, seem like he wasn't joking. So, I mean, I, 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 wanted to give, I wanted to give this week's Amazon gift card to the baseball crank, but no, he had to go and explain the joke rather than just letting it stand on its own two feet. So I'm going to read now here from the book of Crank. This is uh, Baseball Crank writing in the National Review, the Shakespearean father-son tragedy of the Biden family. And, like, obviously this is not exactly new territory for the baseball crank or anyone to plumb. This is very old hat at this point. But I, I, just, like, I, just, I just love the way the crank attempts to... Um, uh, defend his um, rather funny observation from uh, the slings and arrows of the Pod Save Johns. So he writes here, It was announced Saturday that Joe Biden's dog, Champ, has died at the age of 13. By all accounts, the family German Shepherd was, as we would say, a good boy. Dogs are with us too briefly, and saying goodbye to them is inevitable, but never easy. That leaves the family with another German Shepherd, Major, who was kicked out of the White House for a month after reportedly biting a Secret Service agent and a National Park Service employee. On the eve of Father's Day, the contrast between the two dogs, one uncomplicatedly beloved, the other a constant source of trouble, put me in mind of the Shakespearean tragedy at the heart of, Biden, of the Biden family, Joe's sons, Bo and Hunter. We've seen many sides of Joe Biden over the past half century, and there is no more sympathetic side than that of the wounded, grieving father. Uh, he goes on here, uh, Joe was a man of boundless ambition and self-regard, elected to the Senate in his 20s, full of quick-tongued Irish blarney, able to talk at length without tiring, convinced that he could become president in his 40s as the young voice of the baby boom generation. Blah, 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 going on and on. And he goes, uh, he talks about Bo, and then he talks, Hunter was another story, a drug addict, a repeat peddler of influence on his dad's good name, a guy who used the N-word. It is natural for a father, busy with his career, to be indulgent of sons who have lost the rest of the family as toddlers. It's not hard to picture Joe seeing that the family was in good hands with Bo being all the more indulgent of Hunter. Or maybe that's all armchair hogwash. We all have known wise and uptight parents who did everything right, and one, of their more, one or more of their kids just got away from them. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. Sometimes you just got to put them down. Do you think that's uh, like Crank's situation? Like he has one son who also, like, like Crank does, every picture of him looks like it's a colorized derogotype of someone from before World War I. Where he's just like that uncanny looking and he's like some type of like bullshit conservative lawyer. But then he has one son who like got an earring and he doesn't speak to him. He has an evil, there's an evil crank. It's, it, yeah, he doesn't even like baseball. Yeah, he hates baseball. He likes foot, footy and he has an earring. <laughs> so he goes on, he says, uh, then the tragedy, the firstborn son died. Bo got a brain tumor and as with the brain tumor that took my mother 19 years ago, there was no good news along the way. He died in the spring of 2015. Burying a child is brutal. Doing it twice is worse. My dad buried two sons, much like Biden, one of them in 1972, one in 2010. The second one broke him. My dad was in a home by the time he was the age Joe is now. Ooh, so like baseball cranks like really turning it around. He's like, oh, you don't think I can joke about family tragedy? Well, let me one up you. You just yeah. standpoint theoried your ass. Yeah. yeah, baseball crank is doing my favorite thing that people do when they argue online where they're like, Oh, yeah, you think my life's easy? Well, my grandparents died, and they're, like, 38. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're, like, 75. Of course your parents are dead. I'm an or I, the baseball crank, and I'm an orphan now. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, his brothers also died, so he's got that going for him. That's, he's got a little extra. It's true. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's, like, I don't really, 
I think it's sort of lame to moralize against the baseball crank, but um, I, I I just don't get it. It's like all he had that article where he's bragging about his dad writing the letter to Reagan about apartheid. Oh, baseball crank. Yeah, do you remember that? No, what was that again? Remember his like. He's like, my dad wrote a letter. My dad was a New York City cop who wrote a letter to Reagan about the situation in oh, South yeah, Africa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. The veto sanctions or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's like, it's evident why he's like a bad guy or at least like believes bad things. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what, I, I think this thing where people like, Matt, you pointed it out how it's like equally lame to when people would get offended on behalf of the Trumps. Like, do you Honestly, care? it's like, come on. Like, remember when they were saying that Barron might have seen the picture of Kathy Griffith holding Trump's fake separate yeah. head and that was come. It's like, do you like defend? Do you like having to deal with that sanctimonious bullshit? And the answer is, I only don't like being on the other end of it. I love doing this. This yeah. is their favorite thing to do, to 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 pretend to be uh, morally superior to their opponents. That's their favorite thing. That they get frustrated when Republicans do it because they think that they're cheating because they think they're not being honest because they know in their heart that they love doing that stuff and they're being disingenuous. But they want to be doing this. They love it. Well, they love it way more than uh, doing jokes about someone. That's kind of uncomfortable. Getting to get offended about jokes, that's their fucking comfort zone. Yeah. That's what no, they love like, doing. This would be such a better country if there was just like an agreement that all these people are like disgusting. And if we oh, don't get thanks, any. I'm yeah, telling yeah. you. The Eric Adams, <laughs> Eric Adams nation. It's just sort of like, I feel like if you reach a certain level of power, like it's okay to make fun of uh, intensely personal terms, even dealing with family tragedy. Cause it's just like, look, he's president of the United States. You fucking mounted a, uh, a spiral staircase made of human skulls to get where you are. Like you have, you have broken free of humanity in most respects. You've turned into a reptile. Like how am I, you treat the rest of humanity with an Olympian the cannibalistic disdain. Why the hell can't we do that too? Come on. I also think it's funny though that that that, that Crank has to like to put this in terms of like a Shakespearean tragedy and just be like, actually, I'm being quite sympathetic to the Biden family because you know I, I too acknowledge that it's hard to lose a child, <laughs> to have a child die. It's like, hey, I'm not I'm not I'm not made of stone here, people. Also, yeah, you're you're right. I I do I do remember that baseball Crank's dad was like a fucking hard-nosed New York City cop in the Bronx in the 60s yeah. and 70s. He was like the Dudley Smith of the East Coast. Yeah, Michael like Corleone, his shot, his his, Michael his Corleone shot his dad in the head in an Italian restaurant. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, I, like his dad was really broken up when he had to kill his, shoot his friend Frank Serpico for, you know, talking out of school. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, like, uh, so, so he, he goes on to compare the Biden family to the Kennedys, and talk about how, like, oh, like, you know, the Kennedys had two good sons that had to be put down. Uh, and then they ended up with uh, Ted, who was, you know, the fat kid in the family. He, right here, uh, Ted, the fat kid in the family that valued looks and viga. The one who almost got kicked out of Harvard for cheating. The one who destroyed his own White House hopes when he killed a girl and covered it up. Even that did not mend his boozy, womanizing ways for decades. <laughs> well, <laughs> so like, he's still, he's still got to get a ding in on the Kennedy family while he's going at the Bidens. I mean... You know, you can criticize Ted Kennedy, but he was the inspiration for the film Tommy Boy. <laughs> so he goes here. Uh, Craig just goes on to write, um, with no good son to inherit the Biden legacy, the black sheep of the family assumed unexpected prominence that nobody had planned or wanted. Joe, unable to step back and bask in the glow of Bo's rise the way George H.W. Bush did after 1992, decided to run again himself in 2020, visibly well past his prime. 
Hunter embarrassed him at every possible turn, but Joe would never turn on the only remaining son, the last remnant of the family he brought with him in 1972. No matter what ethical compromises it demanded, no matter how many people warned him about what Hunter was doing. We can blame Joe Biden for all the risks he is willing to run and the things he is willing to overlook in order to let his son and brother Jim cash in with shady foreigners and for an approach to nepotism that makes a mockery of Democratic crocodile tears about the Trumps. But that is all political fair game, and it always is. We can't blame Joe Biden for having an unshakable devotion to his last remaining son or for the independent misbehavior of a kid who is now 51 years old. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, he's got it. Yeah, he's a uh, baseball crank kind of spitting facts here. Not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, like, that is he is sort of dead on here because it's like, isn't that one of the most hilarious things about Hunter? Like, it's la- it's equally lame. The libs making, like, getting mad at Crank is equally lame to, like, the fucking shithead maggot people who are like, the hunter said the N-word. Like, you don't care. Like, how many times do you think Donald Trump said it? Like, what the fuck? But the funny thing is that Hunter is a 51-year-old man who is saving memes about his dad saying the N-word. Yep. Like, that's hysterical. <laughs> and sending it to his lawyer. Yeah. To his fucking lo- Like, his poor fucking lawyer. Just sick of the shit. And, like, that's was that was always the thing where I thought that, like, Biden was... He's the true king of whites. Like, there are so many Bidens in this country and very few Trumps. Biden, you know, kissing his 52-year-old son on the lips for way too long and being like, you're my, you're my most handsome little guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you know that's there are a lot of people who do that in this country and that's really the funny thing about them one of the many funny things about them uh crank uh, finishes out by writing the tragedy of joe biden in the years when he ought to be enjoying his retirement is that being a dad means the family doesn't always work out the way you planned it sometimes you can't retire when you wanted to and the things you would do for your kids sometimes go beyond the things you might ever have done just for yourself joe, Bi- you joe biden would have done all of this for himself and also <laughs> yeah. like I'm sorry, Joe's having the time of his life. He is so happy. Did you see him? He was like, him at the G7 was like, it's like when you bring a dog to the dog park. It was great for him. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day. like Oh, he, God, St. Patrick's he's Day. He's been dreaming about doing this stupid bullshit forever. He loves it. This is the happiest he's ever been. Well, I mean, just uh, I've, it's it's been too long since we've talked about Crank. I mean, he was such a such an important part about the early rise of Chapo, and it's just I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see more of his little baseball face everywhere. I miss him. Ah! I do miss him a lot. I you know like uh, I guess like I don't know. I guess we have two sons. We have two sons that we we brought with us when we first came here. Unlike unlike the Bidens, we have. Uh, <laughs> crank and we had rod we have rod but we do a lot of yes. the other people we don't let's not forget caleb uh, caleb jacoby our other unofficial son the, when was the last time we read a jeff jacoby yeah no i mean caleb cleaned, cleaned up his ways he's a dj now yeah <laughs> he's not Caleb's running away from awesome. home anymore yeah we took yeah but yeah no rod and baseball crank i mean to just uh, two two giants and you know i mean i i just uh, i mean uh, crank is a a, a a hilarious dork in so many ways but I mean, more nerdy, all the fucking people getting angry at him for being like, oh, oh, God, how could you make fun of Joe Biden's dog and his dead son or whatever? It's just like, okay, 
I mean, maybe if Joe Biden never ever talked about Bo because he was like that grief is private, but no, he shares it every chance he gets. No, yeah, I mean, and like, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shitting home on him for that either. People process grief in different ways, and he's a blubbery Irish guy who doesn't drink, so it's got to come out somewhere. None of no one who's elected is really like you should never really see them as a human being, really. Yeah, there are a few, very few, Jeremy Corbyns out there who are genuinely beautiful, beautiful people. But for the most part, whether it's Joe, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's, you know, fucking Chris Coons or whoever, that's not, a, it's not, yeah, none of them are real people. None of these people like make the decisions or see the world the same way that like a nor even a normal weird person that you would know does. They're freaks. They're and one of the ways to know that is that if you've ever seen a picture of a politician that they post on Twitter to show them watching a sporting event, and this <laughs> yes. is true across the Anglosphere, you see someone like on a bar stool three feet away from uh, like a fucking portable television. Like these people yeah. do not sit and relax and enjoy things like sporting or, events the way that you and I do. They don't relate to their time on Earth the same way. Yeah, the way do you remember like those disgusting pictures that Scott Walker would be post where he's like, yeah, his horrifying ham meals. Well, yeah, he'd be like watching the Brewers with my sons, and he's just yeah, he's just standing straight up like this. He looks like he has yeah. a coat hanger in his polo shirt, and he's eating like he's eating like a perfectly room temperature brat and a yeah. hot beer <laughs> with his shitty kids. Uh, Matt, another 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 standard um, watching tactic for uh, Western politicians is it'll be like. Instead of like the the tiny portable television that they're that they're like staring into, um, it's like uh, it's like a big sort of a den, like sort of TV style like furnished basement room, and it's like a it's like an eighty inch television, but they're standing right in front of it, like bolt upright, yeah. hands in their yeah, pockets. Yeah, they love standing in front of large televisions too. Like they're just like they're they're so close that all they're seeing is just pixels move around. And, yeah, not, yeah, and if they do sit, it's never in a chair that anyone would sit in to watch an entire sporting event that's why america rejected mitt romney was because he was like he was openly that the last guy since hw who is openly that thing where it's like yeah my favorite game is this thing where we torture a horse and make it dance remember when he said his favorite food was hot dog his favorite meat is hot dog yeah and my second favorite meat is hamburger yeah yeah and he also referred to sports Sport as he sport he referred to sports as sport. That was was that the same interview where he's like, I like jokes and things of a humor yeah. nature. <laughs> he was awesome. Yeah, I wish I could vote for him. Uh, so moving on from the baseball crank, uh, I'd like to go into uh, this week's uh, official reading series, which is a. Uh, it's a rare one because it's a tweet thread that I, I thought was so wonderful that I think it and I think for a lot of reason it warrants including in, in a reading series canon. But um, going back to the beginning, Felix mentioned that like this is the a certain style of kind of weepy white European conservative version of buck breaking. But the main thread of this uh, this sweet thread I'm going to get into is being gay with your homies. Yeah, or rather not. It's not. It, 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 let me correct myself. It is not about being gay with your homies. It is about being perceived as being gay with your homies when in actuality what you were doing is um, cultivating a sense of intimate male partnership and uh, friendship 
that because of the acceptance of homosexuality is now coded as being gay. Whereas it used to be you could just like oil wrestle with your friends and love them and write, you know, letters and poetry to your best friend all the Die time. Die in each other's arms fighting the Macedonians. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, just get gassed together in a trench in World War One. Um, th- OK, so this is this is a thread by um, Peg. This is a Peg Peg Obrey. Peg Obrey. Peg. We'll just call him Peg. He's this guy's been around for a while. He's he's uh, he lives in France and like I said, he's this—he's um, a species of conservative that I wish we had more of in America, which is these sort of like these uh, restorationist kind of pro-monarchy yeah. types that have been crying ever since the French Revolution, but they've yes. like never toughened up. And in that way, they remind me a lot of the left. It's because like they, the left in America is because they like they stay losing all the time, and because of that, they haven't gotten smarter or tougher. They've just gotten like weepier and weepier. Yeah, um, I do like. I do have to say, you know, when I was reading this thread, it was like, you know, you look at the guy's bio, you look at where every everywhere he writes, it's like, why can't that be Tariq Nasheed? He's doing this, but better. Like, yeah. he's better at it. So, I mean, like, yeah, like, feel like I mean, you, you said at the beginning of the show, and I, I wasn't planning to, like, uh, I wasn't planning on your impromptu review of Tariq Nasheed's buck breaking, <laughs> but... You're right. This whole thread is like the white guy version of buck breaking. Yeah, it's like and the it's exact shittier. same thing that like yeah, it's it's shittier, but it's like the exact same thing that uh, that that uh, that animates uh, like the, the the buck breaking narrative. But but um, so like, let's go into to Peg here. So uh, like the whole the thing that kicked off this this mega tweet thread is uh, the New Yorker uh, had some some post about uh, it just says here. The skeletons of 254 warriors from the fearsome sacred band of Thebes were discovered in a mass grave in uh, Charonia. A number were buried with arms linked. If you look closely, you can see that some were holding hands. Now, uh, you know, for, for fans of uh, antiquity and um, classical uh, Greek history, uh, you, you'll, the sacred band of Thebes were pretty much, I mean, this was written about by contemporary historians as being... I mean, this is the whole sleight of hand he's doing in this thread, because I guess, like, you know, they weren't gay in the sense that, like, modern gay people consider themselves gay, but they loved fucking each other. Well, they they love fucking men, like, exclusively. Your average, like, ancient warrior of antiquity, like, elite forces, they were exactly like Jacques from Seeking Derangements. (laughs) Well, Felix, you had a really good point that, like, in in the past, before this, this wretched modern era that we all live in, if you were a gay guy, like the gayest thing you could do was join the military of any country. The, and if you the, were real, and if yeah. you were like a, like a hundred percent like just a pussy destroyer, you would be, could go into theater. You'd become yeah. an actor. No, yeah, that's the thing. Is like it, one of the, who is one of the greatest military leaders of all time, Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great, baby. Frederick the Great was gayer than any modern man. Like he was. If he saw a woman, he would be like, "Oh, fucking gross! Get that fucking <laughs> shit out of here! Fuck you!" Want to look at that fucking gash? Get her out of here! Ugh, I'm gonna fucking throw up. Get me some dudes. Uh, and uh, very tough guy, like brilliant commander. But that was more the norm for like great military commanders. And like, like not even you go even like to World War Two. Like, was it Eisenhower who is like? I think I'm gonna leave my wife and have an. Aff- I'm gonna marry. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. He tried to in the middle of, in the middle of the war. He sent his fucking resignation to um, Marshall uh, and said, "I'm in love with my Jeep driver, uh, and I'm and I'm getting divorced, and I'm gonna resign." And he just said, "It's fucking World War II." <laughs> Can you get it together? Like it's like not even gay. Like sometimes, like even if they're not gay, like Queenie. 
Like Patton. Yeah. Oh, MacArthur. Like, like for God's sake. MacArthur. Patton. Patton all of his outfits that he designed for himself. Patton. Patton wanted to have a custom-made tank commander outfit that he designed himself with like pinstripes. Homo social relationships like, created the theatrical aesthetic that then was legitimized into being an open gay identity. The yeah. thing that he thinks is awful. But that was, yeah, before it was really an option, it's like, yeah, you'd go into the military and you'd go in front of like all these fucking poor conscripts who can't read in front of you and be like, places, everybody, come on. <laughs> and it's like a mean theater guy. And you were, well, you were still tough. But yeah, if you were like, I just like pussy. It's like, yeah, I'm going to put on a wig and become Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Did you say Dilbert and Sullivan? No, I said Gilbert. I said Gilbert. I would watch that. Tape. <laughs> Not really interested in Gilbert and Sullivan, but I would see a, a Dilbert and Sullivan uh, comic opera for sure. There is an amazing thing in Buck Breaking where, like, one of the experts is like, <laughs> he is talking about this. Like, he is, he is like a way better grasp on history than Peg, and he's like, yeah, there were like gay soldiers in Greek antiquity, but then he like fucks up, and he's like. And they would actually tie them together at the ankle if they loved each other. <laughs> and then he goes... I think he's confusing the story of Achilles and Patroclus yeah, and with... He, yeah, he does that. And then he goes, and that's where the phrase tied together at the ankle comes from. And it's like, no, it's joined that's not the phrase. Him. I've never heard that phrase in my life. One time. But it's, Zero times yeah, I've heard that. But, I mean, his the thing he starts with is right, that a lot of these guys were... Well, well, what is well? I mean, like, well, the, thing that they're get, the thing that they're stumbling over is that, like, you know, homosexuality or just like the act itself of, of right. male on male not intercourse an, I, it, has it been wasn't a very, like very a social identity the way it is of almost all of human civilization and in almost every in every human civilization. It's just like well, what Peg is complaining about is, and like a, a lot of these guys, like Rod Dreher too. Like I'm thinking, like the civic brand of conservative that is really obsessed with, uh, uh, you know, being afraid of gay culture and now trans issues is like they really want to go back to an old, an older way of being gay before gay identity was a thing that could be acknowledged. Yeah. They thought it was a, it's a better, superior way to be gay than the modern version. And I think yes. that's what troubles them the because most. Because it doesn't mean being gay. It doesn't, it doesn't involve yeah, exactly. the, if you, the if alienation you, from like a, a culture that you have some sort of fixation on. Like for guys like Rod, and Peg, they're looking, they're looking at gay sex across, uh, like, longingly across this cultural divide, but they can't cross it because doing gay sex now means being gay. Yeah, yeah. Like and that alienates them from a sense of themselves that they find very, very uh, crucial, and they resent that that they resent that's been taken from them. And the thing is, they're right. That is a thing that we don't have anymore. Yeah, yeah. like like you you can't be like a like a like a like a normal square John type with a wife and kids. Who nonetheless um, is primar primarily romantically interested and sexually interested in liaisons with members of the same sex. Like that, that doesn't mean you're a gay guy. You're a straight guy who happens to have sex with men. That does suck. I mean, that should if be an you option. You have that kind of conflict within you. That sucks. And I can see why you might get pissed, especially if you really hold on to like notions of traditional society. You feel you feel like those give you a sense of meaning, and like old religious notions give you a sense of identity. You don't want to trade them for the like, you know, the furtive pleasures of of, of, of gay, gay liberation. Sex. But man, wouldn't it be nice if you could? And yeah. whose fault is it? It's this culture that he is totally otherwise hates. So why wouldn't he want to blame that? Do you, do you? But do you think like Peg or Rod would have the ability to be like a friend? Oh no, the because they are God, no. fully modern people. God, no. Their fixation on that old way is is a it's a it's fake. It is it's, it's synthetic. It is. It is itself a costume. 
Yeah, no, the, the thing they want, they couldn't handle either because they are like us, like we all are modern creatures. We are creatures of the world that we live in. And their whole project is doomed because it pres- uh, imagines that they can turn back into different people regressively. And you can't. The only way out is through. Yeah. So, I mean, so Peg has a lot of thoughts on this. And like he kicks off this thread by saying, on top of being a stupid lie, the retconning of ancient male friendship as homosexuality has damaging implications today. So right off the bat, he's claiming that the sacred band at Thebes were just good friends with each other. That is the, uh, the fundamental, like, uh, and like, he, I guess it, in later posts, he backs away from it a little bit because he gets into that distinction between gay acts and gay identity. But that first post really does seem to be denying the well-established historic fact. Look at Eddie Grecian urn. Each yeah. other. They got buried in a giant daisy chain, for Christ's sake. Yeah, M- most Grecian urns, if you go to like the, the, the Met or any like established collection of, uh, of uh, the art of antiquity, uh, half of them just have shit that looks like Palma's Twitter feed. <laughs> All right, so uh, get, getting into the thread, uh, Peg continues. He says, it seems harder and harder to deny that the normalization of homosexuality has killed intimate male friendships. I like Bronze Age Mantis's spin on this. Okay, if you're, he's, he's name-checking Bronze Age Mantis. Okay, first they're perverted in the Bronze Age. Now they're turning into fucking insects? Uh, he, he, I enjoy the Bronze Age Mantis spin on this, that the powers that be made strong male bonding impossible because it's too politically dangerous. Small bands of men bound together in do-or-die friendships can destroy a regime. I mean, I think uh, I think Chapo Trap House is a good uh, Chapo Trap House and the 9/11 hijackers are like good examples of this phenomenon. Yeah, so I, I I also agree with Bronze Age Mantis on this point. Uh, the homies having fun, dudes having fun uh, is da- is dangerous and it incre- seems increasingly taboo in our society. If you have, and you have to ask her, qui bono, who benefits? If you're three men, it's like one of you is an Eisenhower, one of you is a Patton, and one of you is a Marshall. There has you to just, be one, you decide which. Yeah, one guy has to be like, all right, get it together, guys. He goes, and he goes, okay, so he's, he's getting some attention here, and he goes, oh, okay, this thread has gotten lots of attention, so, ha-ha, ha-ha, you have no friends. Funny, inventive. Uh, Erastus, Eronimus, relationships in ancient Greece were not at all the same thing we are told today is gay identity. And yes, I believe the normalization of homosexuality has had a chilling effect on certain forms of male bonding. Many other things have played into the current situation, from Anglo-Puritanism to the erosion of male-only spaces, but that too. The very fact that past male friendships, like Montaigne and La Beauté, today read as a gay to some people is evidence of this. Have a nice day. God damn it, I will die on this hill. So he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to die on this hill, and he, he goes further to it. But I mean, With his bros. Um, but like, I don't know. I mean, like, I just, uh, this, does, this takes on the flavor of another... Uh, sort of another species of argument where people are just um, uh, uh, complaining about that no one has friends anymore, but they're only talking about themselves. I mean, the main problem here is that his argument stems on the idea that the dastardly elites normalized homosexuality so that straight dudes would be too insecure to be friends with one another. Because the whole argument is premised not on that there any direct attempt to interfere with male friendships. It's well, the, the males themselves, the straight males themselves, are going to be so afraid of appearing gay that they won't be able to be intimate with one another. I mean, isn't the opposite true, though? Because, I mean, like, I, I mean, just from a casual observation, wouldn't it seem that, like, the, the, the normalization of homosexuality, to use Peg's phrase, 
has led to it being much more okay to like express emotion and be vulnerable as a man who's uh, heterosexual well, or, or to display affection no, but only, for other No, but men. the thing is, I think what he means is that you have to acknowledge it. Like, you have to do a no homo thing. You have to make a joke of it, which means you can't be truly intimate in your relationships. You have to keep, you have to keep all male relationships ironized to prevent against the, the encroaching anxiety about being gay. Uh, and like what he's complaining about is uh, it's not some dastardly fucking uh, mechanism of power. It's the fact that all fucking friendships are less potent than they used to be. All human connection is less potent than it used to be. All of our relationships are, are thinner and more tenuous than they used to be because our relationships have been dissolved in the fucking acid vat of capitalism to the point where we cannot believe in anything beyond ourselves, where we cannot operate uh, in the world without having an entirely self-focused motivation because otherwise we will be ground into fucking paste. We've all been turned into the homo economicus that libertarian psychos said we always were. And that means we could, we cannot, we literally cannot afford to have relationships that obligate us beyond our self-interest. And we all know that. And that means our relationships are thinner. It has nothing to do with the type. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with liberalization of uh, sexual mores. It has to do with the fact that no one can, uh, no one can sacrifice realistically. Yeah, and and also that emotion has been f totally coded female in the modern era. Yeah, I mean, like it's if your goal was to you know dissolve male friendships or make them thinner and uh, uh, weaker, ironic. Yeah, um, the most roundabout way you could do that is by uh, gay sex, I guess. But the <laughs> easiest, the easier way you can do that if you control capital and control everything. Make it so that the line between work and not work is blurred. Make yeah. It's, make it so that none of you, none of your moments are really for you, but you're told to really only think about yourself, to really only focus on yourself, your success, your and personal the, and, feelings and as uh, uh, your personal feelings is the only true thing in the world. That seems like it would work better for dissolving male friendships and everyone's friendships, and it has. Like I don't agree. I don't disagree with the idea that like there are fewer friendships and people are lonelier than they have been in a while. I completely agree with that. But it's, I mean, we were talking about this when there's a conservative thing where it's like they point out a problem or they point out a, uh, they, they point out like a historical facet where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's true. And then it's like, and it's because of people are afraid that uh, people will think they're gay. And it's <laughs> like, well, okay, well, what the fuck? Are we talking about the same thing here? I mean, the thing is, is like, okay, people will think you're gay. The whole point now that is that's okay, right? So the thing stopping you is 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 uh, an internal insecurity. Yeah, this is a, it's a perfect example of, I mean, really doing a very modern thing of taking a broad social problem like loneliness and lack of friends, and then putting your own extremely fucked up, weird personal thing on it, where it's like. Well, my you know my reason, and therefore everyone's reason, is that if I have a male yeah. friend, people will think we're gay. <laughs> yep. I'm just imagining like uh, like Herman Melville's letters to Hawthorne, where he's like he's pouring his heart out, and at the end of it, he just signs postscript no homo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, so, so Peg continues here. He goes, uh, the point isn't that no Greeks didn't engage in homosexual conduct, duh, but to say some Greeks 
Uh, but to say of some Greeks they were lovers and leave it as that implying that they had a gay identity in our sense is, either simply, is simply either ignorant or a lie, and all good scholarship backs this view. I mean, like, I mean, like, so like, so it's, 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 like I said, it all becomes this thing about gay identity, and it's just like, yeah, like nobody thought of themselves as like, no one thought of themselves in like the, I mean, shit, Foucault made this point in his history of sexuality, like nobody thought of themselves as having a sex life until the modern era, until like, you know, until time had been segmented by productions so that areas of your life became discrete things that formed right. an identity, right? So like, if you had gay sex, of which plenty of people were doing throughout all of history, it didn't necessarily make you gay. It was just a thing you did, even if it was like you know kept quiet or whatever. But like, I mean, so he's like, is it? It's like for him, is it? Is it's not about the sex act itself. It's not about homosexuality, but it's about uh, just um, it's about it's about those it's about those sex acts forming an identity that is a that then a political category that is then a you know sort of a a, a a group that needs to be advocated on behalf of or that certain disparities in law and society need to be redressed on behalf of that group but like it, it's really i mean but with with all these guys it really is just about sodomy i mean like that's really what they're thinking about or i mean like what is more like like what's more threatening here is it the is it the act of sodomy or is it the like, what he calls the social acceptance of it? Well, I'd, I'd presume it's probably like his argument is the social acceptance. Yeah, it's the social like, acceptance. Uh, that yeah. that that's what that's what gives it the that's what gives the social uh, breathing room to uh, acculturate like a, a a public persona that can be associated or a public set of behaviors and attitudes that can be associated with the act. Yeah, well, yeah, this is so insane, though, because it's like, okay, if your argument is, like, this problem exists because of, like, acceptance of homosexuality as its own concept or and gayness as, like, a lifestyle is, or an identity, rather. Um, okay, that toothpaste isn't really going back in the tube. Right. How, how, what is your plan to, like, get people to forget well, that gayness is an option? <laughs> like, yeah, what are you going to do? None of these people I mean, ever, like, uh, like, like, none of these sort of, like, uh, you know, integralists or whatever you want to call them, monarchists or what are these re return to tradition types. I mean, none of them are, like, ever very explicit about how they would get that toothpaste back in the tube because they know if they stated it outright, I mean, like, most people would regard it as, you know, thoroughly monstrous. I honestly think that their plan is they finger crossed that they survive the apocalypse and then them and their buddies can all like do a fucking society of creative anachronism rewriting of the earth. Like, oh, good. Like we, we could we could take this uh, the bricks out of this Walmart and turn them into a castle keep and start having tournaments. Yeah. I mean, again, I got to say favorably compare buck breaking to the one of the uh, theses to buck breaking uh, that they say at the start of the movie is that the default state for like a lot of white people is just homosexuality. Which <laughs> is like <laughs> an amazing thing to say. But it's like again, it's way more interesting than this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. It, awesome movie. I mean like would would Peg agree with that statement or not? No. No, he wouldn't because he'd be like, What what the fuck are you talking about? But he, but yeah. he's saying this kind of very uh, intimate, flowery, um, uh, very, um, pseudo erotic connection between men of the past is superior to that of today. But that's not gay, right? Well, so yeah, like, that that that's the argument. Like with buck breaking, the argument is like, no, that's gay. Like even if you there, they had no concept of gayness back then. That's still they're still gay as I see them today. Whereas Peg is going, no, it's not gay. They didn't invent that until like 1951. Okay, I mean, he's going on here. He says. Um, 
On the link between normalization of homosexuality and the decay of male friendships, perhaps the, perhaps the best way to go about this is through pop culture, since it's both a mirror to society, to its society and a muse. John Woo's A Better Tomorrow, the dramatic knot of the story is the conflicts between friendship, family, loyalty, and honor. To establish the friendship of the two main characters, the opening scene shows them engaging in horseplay, wrestling, etc. At one point, Chow Yun-fat's character tries to shove a piece of food in his friend's mouth. You would never have those scenes in a Western movie today. Why? You know why. It would look gay. Asian cinema is an interesting point of comparison since it's so often concerned with those classical themes of friendship and culture, and, it co and that and comes from a contemporary society where homosexuality is, or was, very taboo. Contrast Red Letter Media's review of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, where he very astutely points out that the movies need to establish that all of the male characters have a case of the not gays. The point is that subliminally, but inevitably, normalization of homosexuality has added a question mark to countless male interactions. This acts as a subtle but nonetheless real break on male intimacy. The Ros that Rosetta Stone of American culture, Friends, the intense male friendship of the series is Joey and Chandler, and the show never stops getting laughed from creating an a is-it-gay subtext. Whenever Joey and Chandler move for a hug, there's an awkward pause, followed by a laugh track, which works precisely because the show and the audience is having inevitably the same split-second is-it-gay moment. Every time Joey and Chandler have an intense emotional moment, they suddenly feel the need to do something manly, with the implication that intense male bonding is a little bit gay. Laugh track. Uh, it's funny that he brings up uh, John Woo's movie, because uh, The Killer is another movie that's, has, that's very homoerotic in its themes. Very homoerotic. I don't know, like, I mean, in, but the question is, like, I mean, like, uh, you know, like, from, from Moby Dick or Huck Finn on, I mean, like, these... It's like a major theme in like American literature, or like even not American literature, is like uh, the the eroticized friendships between two men. Like it's you know Ishmael and, and Queequeg, or or, or, or you know uh, Huck and Jim, and, and it's like uh, m much ink has been written about this. But the question is like for Peg, is he saying that like those authors, like Herman Melville, for instance, was unaware of the the subtext here, or that this was an accident, or it's only read as gay through a modern lens? It's, I mean, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, that's moronic. I mean, like, the literary trope for, like, maybe hundreds of years was, like, the idea that this is sort of tragic because it's not even an option. Like, that to fully consummate this and to fully, like, for these two men to, like, live their life as romantic partners, that's not even, it's not even that it's forbidden. It's, like, you can't even do that. That's not available in any sense. Well, well I mean, I, I, you know... And I, I don't know what Peg's deal is, but like I, I read this into a lot of Rod's work on the subject as well. Is it like, you know, now that we live in a modern era in which being gay is an identity, and you can be gay and form a family and be a you know openly gay and fully integrated member of our society, and indeed a very successful one. Um, it, it's like that option being available, whereas in the past it wasn't. I mean, I think there's a certain sense of like a loss of like the uh, frisson created by the taboo of it, but mm -hmm. also a sense of the loss of like I've wasted my life. Because, like, if I could have just been doing this all along, maybe you would have. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the character is Javert. I mean, not literally the same thing, but, you know, why do I think Javert kills himself at the end of this storyline in Les Miserables? He, I don't think he kills himself because he's like, oh, I broke my moral code. Time to kill myself. He kills himself because he realizes he can break his code and that, he, that, that way he can adhere to a grander sense of morality. And then he goes, oh, my God, I wasted my life. How many years did I devote? Did I devote to this code? I could have done this forty years ago, and I wouldn't have wasted my life. I would have lived my life as an actual moral guy. Okay, I have to kill myself. Must I now begin to doubt? Who never taught 
I mean, how many people do you know that like live a life they don't really like, but won't deviate from it because that fear of trying it a different way, whether they're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, that the moment it works, which on some level they know it will, they'll go, um, oh my God, I wasted my entire fucking life. Yeah. That's the fear that keeps a lot of people where they are. And, you know, the, the other interesting thread to this, this peg thread is that he's writing from a, a sort of European sensibility. And what he's talking about, like, the, the, this kind of this smirking, winking sense about, oh, like, you can't be too emotional as a man or be too physical with another or the male friend or else you have this kind of this no homo moment. And, like, he's hearkening back to, like, yeah, I mean, he goes on to talk about Sam and Frodo and Lord of the Rings or, like, you know, British guys who were writing sonnets to each other before they got ripped apart by Turkish machine guns at Gallipoli or whatever. But the thing is, like, that, that old sense of masculinity that he's hearkening back to of this, this intense uh, man love, this platonic male love and dedication to one another and, and really, like, deep sense of intimacy has never really, like, taken root in America as like a frontier culture like America's codes of masculinity are very different than European ones I feel so like you don't uh, make I, out when you meet somebody for example yeah <laughs> that is a funny thing in the he, he has something in the thread where he's like this guy he knows like is doing some deal with like uh, uh, Aramco I think Saudi Aramco and a European lawyer comes in and like kisses him and he's like you can only do that in Europe <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about and I think the difference comes down to the fact that we're the frontier country. We're the we're the country of individuals and isolated stoic killers, like uh, like Lawrence called us. And that means that intimacy has always been less in America. And that now, and then because of that, we uh, capitalism became enthroned and headquartered there, and then made things even less fucking uh, communal and less intimate and more and individualistic. Like, and yeah, like and particularly for like male displays of uh, vulnerability or emotion have always been. Uh, more circumspect in American culture because oh, you, know, you had you had to be like you had you had to be the the, the, the strong silent type you know yeah. out out on the frontier or whatever. Um, he goes on. He writes here. Uh, I used to blame Anglo-Protestant Puritanism, and I still do. But obviously, normalization of homosexuality plays a role. A lot of things that used to be natural between men are less so. Maybe you think this is just because people need to become even more accepting of homosexuality. One wonders how that could even be possible. Maybe it doesn't affect you. Good. Good for you. You're very special. But don't gaslight me that this isn't real. Three, and then he goes like 3D. Lord of the Rings. If you know anything about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, you, Tolkien, you know that Frodo and Sam. I just love like, like that, that tweet right there is like a perfect tweet for me. Because I, yeah, it's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe because I, I am affected by today's sort of uh, ironic uh, distancing between masculinity and feelings or whatever. I mean, to me, it, it, it's funny that he's lamenting the normalization of homosexuality, but he's an adult man talking about don't gaslight me. Yeah, an adult, uh, don't gaslight me. Here's what happens to my and favorite happens historical figures, Frodo and Sam. <laughs> I mean, like, I, as, as we're reading through this babble, uh, the thing I think about is, like, all the close male friendships that I know that I see – and you know what? Make no mistake, a lot of them are between people who, if not necessarily rich, do get to escape a lot of the rattiness and uh, collapsed and flattened existence that most people with uh, who are totally reliant on office jobs or manual labor or service jobs are subject to. It's people who like, 
are able to get have a supplemental or primary income from like an internet entertainment thing. And I I, I think I don't think there's a total across the board correlation, but it is noticeable that people who aren't as subject to the flattening effects of our current reality uh, are able to have these very deep male friendships. But, of course, also Frodo and Sam aren't gay. Share the load. Um, and also, it's just like, this is only really a problem to the extent to, like, you know, okay, so homosexuality has been normalized in our culture. I mean, it, we, we, you know, what his prescription is for turning the clock back on that, who fucking knows. But now that that's the case, and that, like, like you said, if you're a straight man and you're being affectionate with another man, there's always this, this, this tension of, like, publicly of, like, oh, will someone think I'm gay or not? Well, I mean, like, that's a YP. It's only a problem into the extent that you let it into your head to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can, like, write sonnets to your homies, wrestle with them, uh, sacrifice for them, love them. I mean, if someone snickers at it and you, and you, you feel like your back is up against the wall, well, I mean, like, that, that's your problem. Maybe you're maybe right, you're not he, as close. Maybe you're not as close to friends as you fucking thought you were. I think if, 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 if some if some anonymous snicker is all it takes you to just be like, oh, yeah. oh I'm not being yeah, gay. What he's saying is, is that is that the effect of this scheme by the elites is to over time disincentivize it among all men. So, yeah, this is essentially your fault. But, hey, this most guys are going to feel that way. And so guys are going to tend to be less intimate with one another, even though it is just in their own head, it is still, it is part of this, uh, this, this evil strategy of like demobilizing masculinity away from what specifically he doesn't say. All he says is homies are a threat to, uh, to power. How and why, like what that means, he has no, that's the extent to which he sets up this entire theory that, well, you know, if, if guys were friendly, more friendly with each other, they would uh, maybe overthrow the government. Like, well, how exactly that's supposed to happen? And 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 like defining that as like the load bearing uh, element of of any kind of revolutionary movement is it's all just picking through like the whole broken pottery of history just to find the one thing to justify your weird hang up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I do think like very generally like genuine friendships and genuine connection are like you know sometimes they can be of great use to any political movement or social movement i think they're i think they're just important as a facet of life but um also i mean guys during the british empire wrote fucking poems to each other they didn't really destroy any of the great evil of the empire. No, that was good in. though. The, the British right, Empire exactly. was good. That's good. Even though right. it was the British Empire and the capitalist system that they unleashed that gave us all of this. Yeah. Like the system that and even and these guys who want to go back to before that, yeah, your only chance of doing that is building uh, a fucking uh a medieval times uh on the wreckage because we are not those people anymore at a fundamental level. I mean, if you want to point to like the real thing that normalized homosexuality as a lifestyle and an identity separate from the act, it was fucking advertising. It was it was the commercial instinct to take the desire to have gay sex and turn it into a market, and then an identities formed around those markets. Like that's how all identities get formed. And a, and a valuable market because it reflects it. it, it you know, it uh, it reflects a group of people with a lot of disposable income, and, and you know, it, and, and as such, capital and power in our in our current society. And so. If once again you're not find you don't you find the culprit and it's not 
your scheming uh, Judeo-Masonic cabal, which is the uh, European Catholic traditional explanation for what happened, but the good old fucking profit motive. So you have to pull the machine out of this thing that's pulling us away from each other and turning us more and more into just fucking demographics, but you can't turn the clock back on the identities that have been formed. We are those people now, and to put and to repress it is to fatally alienate huge chunks of the population from any communal project, which a non-capitalist government would have to be. Also, another thing I would really like uh, guys like this to, to – I think they should have to explicate like, a lot more clearly what exactly they think is wrong with being gay or homosexual acts themselves – because, I mean, if you go down further in the post, he just says, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a conservative Christian and I think that they're, you know, human beings are naturally ordered to certain behaviors and unnatural, quote, unnatural behaviors makes us, you know, uh, sad and miserable. And like, that's why they're prescribed by God or whatever. But like, I mean, if these acts are so unnatural, how come they're so common in all of history and human civilization? Yeah, seems like one of the most natural things for people to do. Right. Yeah, but like, once again... As a uh, as a occasional, you know, uh, uh, indulgence or as a parallel structure, not as a, a thing that uh, is validated by the but society. I mean, like getting an organ transplant is pretty unnatural, too. But I mean, are you going to turn it down if you need a new kidney? I mean, this always breaks down because that's why they always have to end up arguing about things either very uh, they, they either have to make very uh, thin metaphysical arguments like it somehow it it it. Uh, reduces the the strength of straight relationships or the a- idea that it it literally spreads through recruitment and you have to make an argument that it somehow undermines well, uh, I mean, uh, uh, conventional relationships like straight relationships and and every argument to do that is is very uh, very I mean the, pre- the the previous classical model like I mean it, it didn't exactly uphold uh, heterosexual relationships I mean that was the standard but it was very clear that like your 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 wife or husband was just like assigned to you like that was the that was your function to society well that's the other ma- but all major but all of your actual like romantic and creative and like imaginative flights of fantasy and trysts or just like uh creativity come from outside the the the, the marriage and family unit well that's and that, like, par- the highest love that you could have or have for another person would be someone of your own sex whether that was sexualized or not is 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 another question. I mean, sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But it wasn't like it, guys who freaking love their wife didn't exist until about 1985. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is a relatively modern moment, but even more moment, even more so than the fact that romantic love between men and women is is a relatively recent uh, innovation of like the early modern era, the Renaissance and stuff. Uh, the other thing these guys are fetishizing uh, about you know conventional relationships the nuclear family is a complete product of not of fucking like modern capitalism that is that is a absolutely modern artifact like those social relationships are as tied into capitalism and as tied into every godless move march away from the sacred that these guys have been bemoaning since 1789 uh, as uh, homosexual identity it is as much a modern uh, 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 a social artifact. And so they want one. They want to keep one that they have, uh, they have turned eternal and, 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 and elevated. Uh, and they want to get rid of another because they're, not, they're operating just from a, uh, a, a sense of what they're uh, horrified by and what they fetishize that is entirely generated by their specific 
uh, array of uh, fucking uh, repressions and and like, psychological uh, like pathologies. Not any uh, clear-eyed analysis of like the 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 state of the political economy. I mean, like back to back to the point I made about like the for. The, the, the sort of split between Europe and America as it regards masculinity. I mean, I think the other thing that's going on here is, like, he's bemoaning the fact that a lot of these things that were traditionally regarded as being normal and masculine are now coded in, in, in our modern context, which, let's be honest, only means in American context because, like, we create culture for the world and, like, we, we, we set the standard for everyone else, are coded now as being fruity. And I think that these guys are upset that, like, their natural setting, which is soft and a little bit theatrical is coded as being kind of uh being a swish now yeah and like they want to go back to a time when like you know like that was you you could you know like uh, there was there was no difference between being a cowboy and being a a montane a a poet who writes you know yeah like the three musketeers were like the butchest dudes on earth and they just wore cravats and 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 long ringlets and scented uh scented handkerchiefs in their fucking uh, sleeve collars. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to read like the whole thing. He, he goes on for a long time on this thread, as you might imagine. But uh, he continues. He says, why will I die on this hill? I'm going to do something incredibly stupid and actually expose some vulnerability to the pack of hyenas on this hell site. I mean, again, it's just, you know, this is not traditionally masculine behavior to me, but that's because <laughs> like I'm in an American context and I'm in a modern context that like, you know, uh, men talking about the hell site and normal world and being gaslit by popular culture is like not something I stereotypically associate with heterosexual men, but perhaps in a more classical context, that wouldn't be the case. So uh, Peg continues here. He writes, um, ha ha ha, you have no friends, loser. Well, not only do I have friends, but not all of them are internet anons. So there. But K through 12, I was three years younger than everyone else in my class. So that made making friends difficult. And yes, I was bullied. But thankfully, unlike libs who act out their trauma by trying to recreate their bullying at the level of politics, I grew out of my loser nerd past in the immortal, by, in the immortal words of the great Justice Brett Kavanaugh, lifting weights, drinking beer, and hanging out. In any case, typically, in whatever year I was in, I had one friend, and so I invested in this friendship with a lot of meaning and intensity. And since I was a nerd, I was, yes, inspired by some of the great friendships of classical literature, including, yes, the Iliad, some ancient writers speculated about the Achilles-Patrocles relationship, but Homer himself never says or implies anything that's not projected by the reader. But also the great stories of the knights of the ch- uh, chansons de guest and others. When I eventually found out that some of those scholars asserted those relationships are gays, were gay, I felt like an incredible violation. I knew it had to be false because I knew that the way that they described those relationships described my relationships, and I knew they weren't gay. It's intrinsically debasing to suggest that someone's friendship is really based on some other motive, whatever it is. And just to be clear, I'm describing experiences that happened before puberty, so please no talk of sublimated or repressed homosexual attraction. I grew up in a household where sex was openly discussed, so I was aware of homosexuality as a concept, but it, I, it had about as much relevance to me personally as the rings of Neptune. The point is that I know what it's like to experience this kind of pure, intense male friendship, and I know that it's different from sexual or romantic interest, and I know that, that I know that it is the same thing as the great classical friendships. It's just, an incre- it's just incredibly destructive for the discourse to point out at these examples and go wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Shana Moore on top of ignorant and stupid, of course. Hey, look, 
I'm a Christian conservative. I believe that human beings are naturally ordered towards certain kinds of relationships, that engaging in homosexual conduct is intrinsically unhealthy, and that society shouldn't encourage it. Today, some people find this view not only shocking, but fundamentally unfathomable, incomprehensible. That's fine. I find the contemporary live-your-truth ethos of the self-creating, rootless, atomistic individual both laughably absurd and horribly crude. Anyway, the I'm-not-crying virulence and stupidity of the replies has confirmed for me that we need more critiques of the consequences of the normalization of homosexuality. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. So there he goes. Um, it's just, I, I, I think he's just, he doesn't want to be called queer. I mean, I think he just doesn't want people making fun of him for his... In today's he society, to very, very gay-coded uh, behavior. He wants to be able to wear a pape, cape in public. That's it. I do. He should have just written the thing about why why can men no longer uh, why can, why are young men no longer dressed in velvet culottes and stockings the way they were in the Victorian era. That that's are, all he why wants. Are, why aren't we dressing boys as girls until they're eight? Yeah. Um. That, but he just they wants did that all the time be, in Victorian society. He wants it wasn't to be gay. able. To be a little bit publicly fabulous without yes, feeling self-conscious about it. I think that's it. I think he wants just to be like a little bit flamboyant. And I don't mean this in a gay way. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's a closet case or whatever. I just think like and maybe, it, maybe it is a tragedy that like people have this internal censor in their head if they're heterosexual about being a little allergic to swag. Well, like they should. Being a little allergic to feelings. They should take all the money out of the F-35 program and have a completely ceremonial branch of the military that's like – the cavalry where you can do this and like have a silk pistol holder and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that would be positive. Uh, I want to go back to a real man. Uh, I have a good Eric Adams thing to close this out. (laughs) What's the best concert you've ever been to? Curtis Mayfield at Wingate concert series. At that concert, there was a rainstorm and the lights fell on Curtis Mayfield and they actually paralyzed him at that concert. He died a few years ago, but it was an amazing concert before that happened. Just so unfortunate. <laughs> what? The best concert he ever saw was one that was rained out and where Curtis, uh, Curtis Mayfield Curtis was Mayfield put in the fucking, fucking hospital. Paralyzed. Where he was the paralyzed by falling lights. Killed Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> it's like if someone... Well, he didn't it, die, it's but like, it, that's, it, he, he was literally paralyzed for life after that. That's like literally... How is the play other than that, Mrs. Lincoln? But she responds <laughs> my, like, "My favorite live music experience, Great White." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, it was they, the Rolling Stones set at Altamont. Yeah. They they also asked him about uh, Israel because he's going to be New York's mayor and how he's going to advocate for it. And he said, "I visited Israel twice. I'm going back again, and I'm going to try to find a plot of land so it can be my retirement place." I love what? the people of Israel, the <laughs> oh food, my the culture, the dance, everything about Israel. Okay. And they ask him, where Eric in Israel Adams. do you plan on retiring? And he says, in the Golan Heights. Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Fuck? Eric, okay, he's going to be mayor. Yeah, he's, I'm sorry. He's going like, to be mayor. I, don't that's don't vote so for him, awesome. but he's going to win tomorrow. Don't I'm vote, sorry. Don't vote for him, but like, that's it. Like, you know, you know what? He didn't even think that before. He was like, oh, fuck, Israel. I'm going to retire in Golan Heights. The number one controversy that has dogged Eric Adams in this mayoral race is the fact that he lives in New Jersey. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm going to move to the Golan Heights. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy property there and move there. Like he's, after I'm <laughs> he's going to be a settler. Like he's uh, by the way, amazing. I would love to see how, how, how warm the warm embrace that Eric Adams and his family will receive among fellow Israeli settlers oh, no, in the Golan Heights. They'll love him. It'll be great. They'll be so nice to him. Uh, no, I, I, he's. They'll give him so many pe- vegan pizza meals that he can enjoy. Well, he's like. I mean, 
I don't want him to win, but it's like he's so he's such a completely like fucked up person that it's like he yeah, I kinda think he is going to win. He's the Biden of the race in every respect. I mean if 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 our national politics holds to form at a local level, I mean Eric Adams has got this sewn up. I mean yeah. I hate to say it. Yeah, my favorite concert was when Curtis Mayfield got paralyzed. Before <laughs> he got paralyzed, of course. Like what a great interview. I mean, yeah, no, I don't like his policies, but just he has the right personality to be yelled at all the time. The, there they, you go. Well, you know he does because they asked him about how he's feeling about uh, being up in the polls, and he said, not happy, not sad. The man with the wax wings flew just enough, not too close to the sun, not too close to the water, steady. <laughs> what the fuck Wait, are you what? talking about? No, that's the opposite <laughs> of what happened not in that story. at all. I think he's imagining, like, he probably heard that story and then just thought, <laughs> if, well, if I had wax wings. Okay, oh, yeah. If, if I was Icarus, I would have just stayed yeah. at exactly the right altitude yeah. so that the wax wouldn't melt. Yep. I, yeah, no. Again, like, he sucks. Pretty much everyone else running for mayor sucks. Um, the job is just to take the orders of the cops and, uh, and real estate. What, what else uh, are you supposed yeah. to do? I w- tank. I, I mean, I wish I could vote for De Bunglero. For a third term. Honestly, yes. They should do the the Bloomberg thing for him. Give yeah. him another term. Yeah, sorry. He's but finally having fun after eight, eight fucking years because he realized the thing that every New York mayor should know going in, you will never get another fucking position. You will never win another election after your New York City mayor, and you should just accept that and then have fun with it. Look, DeBunglero beat the Trump virus. No ifs, ands, or buts. And he beat it for the entire East Coast. DeBunglero is my mayor. There'll be statues of him soon. Yeah. No, he's a guy who's like not really going to get appreciated, but by history. Yes, yeah. history will redeem him. Yeah, I will be the Just like Castro. It will be resolved by history. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that does it for uh, today's episode, guys. Ask not who the baseball cranks for. It cranks, cranks for thee. Bye bye. Cheers. I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England and the coat of fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I am teeming with a lot of news. Ooh. Ah, with many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. <laughs> I am very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and in calculus. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. <laughs>